0: I always enjoy talking about steel products. That's S-T-I-H-L. And you can find the myriad of steel products by going to steel, S-T-I-H-L, USA.com or steeldealers.com. In fact, last week, I went out to their warehouse and their offices, uh, not too far from DIA. And I'll tell you what, they're brand new. They were open about two and a half, three years ago, just blown away by all the products they have in house and some of the new stuff. In fact, I was riding around on one of their new turnless mowers that are coming out this year. They're amazing, man. I I was riding around the warehouse in one of these things and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy 50 acres just so I can go cut the lawn. They have so many good stuff, so many good products. They have products I didn't realize they had. And I always look through their website. But they're always coming out with new things to help you make your life easier in the front yard, in the backyard, on camping trips. Just go check it out. S-T-I-H-L. That's SteelUSA.com. SteelDealers.com. And most of their products are made right here in the USA steelusastihl.com stihl.com got a shipment of boyer's coffee to the front door just uh recently so i have coffee for the next several weeks the very least and i love boyer's coffee they've been brewed in this uh, neck of the woods since 1965 they're a wonderful community partner in each coffee that you uh put, whether it's a K-cup like I do, or, or you brew it yourself, it's going to be smooth, it's going to be rich, it's going to be consistent, because they've mastered brewing at high altitude, and it is so very, as I said, consistent, and they have a wonderful array of flavors and different coffees just go to their website boyerscoffee.com pick and shop and, and then have it delivered right to your door within 48 hours as i always do if you're in the market you can find their products there as well it's boyerscoffee.com this week on the drew goodman podcast remembering the great peter
1: McNabb. i'm the biggest hockey fan you'll ever find so for me to sit there and do the TV part of it for the first round or whatever, and then you know be lucky enough to work on the radio, it, it, it's I couldn't I wouldn't wish to be anywhere else doing anything else. And uh, you, you're you're the same way because I mean you should have seen <laughs> Connor and I every TV timeout we'd look up and go
0: eight minutes. You're still... <laughs> Are you kidding me! And some memories from one of Peter's former television partners, John Kelly.
2: When I came to work with him, it was like, okay, you know, this guy's really good, and and I better I better measure up.
0: This is the Drew Goodman podcast. Welcome in everybody. It is show number one seventy five, which I guess is a milestone of of sorts. And this is going to be a, a, a difficult one and a different show for obvious reasons. The hockey community, the sports world in our region in particular, lost a dear friend to everyone, whether you knew him personally or not. Peter McNabb passed away at the age of 70 over the weekend. And we're going to visit with John Kelly, who was his uh, original partner here in Denver when Peter arrived from New Jersey after broadcasting with the Devils uh, in the first year of the Avalanche when they came from Quebec. And and Johnny joined uh, Peter in the booth for nine years. And and that's when I first got to know Peter because um, I was hosting the uh, pre- and post-game show and doing the uh, between-period stuff for our coverage on on Fox sports way back might've been prime sports back then. I can't even uh, recall, but we're, we're going to talk to John about Peter and we'll also take you back, uh, to an interview. Uh, we'll, 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 cover most of the, the two part interview, uh, that we did right after the avalanche won their third Stanley cup just a few months ago. And, and Peter was in, you know, great spirits and he sounded great. And we're going to replay, um, different portions of that interview a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, I do want to get to a couple of other subjects uh, quickly. Uh, It's a difficult segue, and then we'll get back to um, our tribute to the great Peter McNabb, and he truly was great. I went up to Boulder this uh, past weekend. I was uh, getting ready for the CU basketball season. I have them several times uh, on the Pac-12 network. And after practice, I went over and uh, tailgated with some friends a little bit and then went in and and watched the Buffs in person for the first time as they took on uh, eighth-ranked Oregon. And and not surprisingly, they got outclassed. And I came away with uh, a couple of thoughts very quickly. Uh, number one, they play hard for Coach Sanford. I mean, you you can see that, and, and you know they had one win going in, and they had only one win coming out of that. It was a lopsided loss, but they do play hard. And the other most obvious thought I had upon departure was they have a long, long way to go. And I know it's not a revelation. You've all been watching them, or maybe you haven't this year. Uh, long, long way to go, but they they did play hard. There were a couple of uh, individuals that stood out. Uh, you know, Jordan Tyson can really play. Uh, you know, he got hurt in the in the second half, but uh, really good young receiver. And the other guy that stood out to me is Josh Chandler Cimetto, who made every single tackle and basically has, in large measure, uh, since he arrived on campus, a transfer from West Virginia. So uh, quick thoughts, quick observations on the Buffs. We'll see uh, where they go uh, in their coaching search. I think we'll probably know something here before the end of November. You don't want to walk it too far uh, into the offseason. Baseball, uh, I'll start with the World Series. Congrats to the Houston Astros. And congrats to Dusty Baker. I, I was pulling... Um, they didn't have a dog in the hunt But I, I think like everybody In the sport they Everyone adores Dusty Baker And Dusty was a Terrific player And he's been uh, An amazing manager For a number of teams Wherever he goes, they win, they win divisions They go to the postseason But he had never won a World Series It was elusive He came close with the Giants But never had won a World Series And now he's a world champion, and you feel great for him. And I can't imagine anybody in the sport not feeling great for him. So that was my first uh, thought on on the Astros capturing the World Series. The second thought was that the best team won. It doesn't always work that way in baseball, but the best team won. And I know going into the postseason, the Dodgers had the best record, but I still feel like Houston was the more complete team. Better bullpen, healthier bullpen, healthier rotation. And, and similar to the Dodgers They can score in a variety of ways And you saw that uh, They used their speed um, They used the long ball too How about in game 6 Gordon Alvarez hit the ball Over the batter's eye Against Alvarado Left on left Came in at 100 And went out at like 3,000 miles an hour And you knew as soon as that ball left the bat It went from one one nothing deficit To a 3-1 Astros lead You knew that it was all done it was all over um, Other thoughts from that Houston victory Good for Justin Verlander He's a Hall of Fame pitcher uh, He's been a good postseason pitcher Except for when he arrived at the World Series He had an ERA over 6 going in He wasn't masterful in his uh, Game 5 performance But he was good enough He was good enough And he got his first uh, World Series victory And how about how about the combined no-no? Started by Kristen Javier. That was amazing. Just the second no-hitter in the history of the World Series. Don Larson's the perfect game in 1956, of course, was the other one. But the best team won. The most complete team won. Hats off to Philadelphia. They had a great run. They have an exciting lineup. You know, I was hoping that the uh, the, the Avalanche, the uh, Rockies signed Kyle Schwarber last offseason. He was my, for me, my number one uh, target. Um, I, I know they flirted with him. They end up signing his uh, his teammate, Chris Bryan, his old teammate from Chicago. But Kyle Schwarber, you know, I'm not going to hit for great average, but he's going to hit bombs. And he comes up big in clutch moments. And he gave Philadelphia a one nothing lead uh, in Game 6. We know they could not uh, hold on to that. He had three home runs in the World Series. He mashed in the postseason. It's great in the clubhouse. But uh, Philadelphia overall tremendous run, tremendous run. Good theater. It's a good World Series, really good World Series. Good postseason, and the way this baseball season started with the lockout, not knowing if if Major League Baseball was going to miss games, and everyone, me included, people in the game, fans of the game, just upset. They're tired of uh, of you know the bickering with. People trying to split up an $11 billion pie. But fortunately, that's now in the rearview mirror. And I thought the season, by and large, was a very good one for Major League Baseball, culminating in a terrific postseason. So, again, hats off to Houston uh, for winning it all. One other baseball note, a couple other notes. Uh, The Rockies made the first uh, trade of the uh, offseason. They traded Sam Hilliard, which you knew was coming. They had to clear space in the 40-man roster. Hilliard was not brought up later on in September when the rosters expanded by a couple Uh, He's an enigmatic player He's a marvelous talent You know, he's 6'5", almost 240 pounds Uh, When he touches the baseball It goes over the wall He's one of the faster guys in baseball He has a great arm Uh, He plays a Whether it's in center or on the corners He plays a a very good defensive outfield Uh, But there was always a lot of strikeouts He did cut down on it this year But he just couldn't put it all together and he needed a change of scenery. I think he wanted a change of scenery. Uh, it was pretty clear that the Rockies were, were ready to move on. They have some young players coming, most namely Zach Veen, who's not hopefully too far away, is having a really good fall league uh, down in Scottsdale. Uh, so I wish Sam Hilliard the best. Uh, I, I think he's a terrific young man. He obviously has gone through tragedy with losing his dad uh, to Lou Gehrig disease, uh, but as frustrating, I'm sure as this year was for him, uh, he always handled himself with great class and I wish him nothing uh, but the best in atlanta and uh, and hopefully he gets an opportunity and hopefully he can realize um, some of that talent on a more consistent uh, level. The Rockies get in return Dylan Spain, a twenty four year old six uh, foot six pitcher with a big arm who was in high A last year in Atlanta's chain. Uh, he has always struck out a little bit more than uh, number of innings pitched. That's something you look for. The walk rate's been pretty solid. So we'll see. He's, he looks like he's going to be a, a pen arm. Uh, he made a few starts this year in A-ball, but we'll see, you know, if he can emerge. And um, that'll be one to kind you know look toward over the next uh, couple of years, if, if he can keep climbing the ladder. That's still in Spain. The Rockies made a couple of moves on their coaching staff, um, you know, that um, Stu Cole was reassigned to the, to the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, I love Stu. I thought he was a great, great third base coach, which is, which is something that I think people oftentimes don't take a measurement of, but do you make good decisions when you're sending runners? Um, are you astute to what the score is and, and where the game is? And, and I thought Stu was, was a plus in that regard. And he's been with the Rockies forever, but uh, the Rockies need a new third base coach, an infield coach, and um, they brought up Warren Schaefer, who's 37 year old uh, former player. He's been the manager the last couple of years down in Albuquerque. Good man, really good man. So I'm excited uh, for Warren Schaefer uh, being on the third base coaching lines and working with the uh, Rockies infielder and infielders. And then um, Dave Magadan uh, moved on, well respected hitting coach, and he's replaced by Hensley Mullins, Bam Bam, if you remember when he played. And um, I've gotten to know Bam Bam over the years because he was on Bruce Bochy's staff for uh, a number of years in San Francisco. Um, you know, third base coach, hitting coach, um, not third base coach, but hitting coach and bench coach um, in San Francisco. And I think uh, as fans get to know, both of those guys are going to really, um, really like uh, both of them. It's still, it's still at the big league level. Uh, I've said this many times for hitters, talent trumps everything else. It's it's not like some hitting coach comes in and magically turns the 230 hitter into a 300 hitter or turns the guy who hits, you know, six to 10 home runs a year and all of a sudden becomes a 30 home run hitter. That doesn't happen. But, you know, new voice, new energy. um, And I think the Rockies accomplished that in bringing, uh, bringing on Bam Bam. Uh, to the staff, so I'm looking forward to uh, to getting with those two guys, and um, I, as I said, I think all the fans out there will uh, will really like them as well. We're just getting underway with the off season; more to come in future podcasts. All right, back to Peter McNabb. I had Peter on right after the Stanley Cup victory, and he came on for an hour, um, actually more than that. We we broke it up into two parts and, and he sounded terrific. He sounded, you know, like, like normal Peter. And even though he'd been battling at that point in time for the better part of a year cancer and had been in remission. And I got a call, um, just a couple of days ago from a very close friend, uh, in the business who let me know that, you know, that Peter had taken a turn for the worse. And, um, and then literally 48 hours later, he was gone way, way, way too young at 70 and i know when someone passes and uh, somebody that the public knows they you you hear you know certainly many positive things and everything you've heard and will hear on this podcast about peter mcnabb is not an embellishment one iota peter mcnabb was a fabulous person i mean he was disarmingly nice to everyone he met he had a terrific playing career, um, but I, he he honestly was so self-deprecating, you'd have thought he was like some journeyman that got a cup of coffee in the NHL. He scored 363 goals. He had over 800 points as an NHL player. I remember him first with the Boston Bruins, and I also remember my first... Uh, Time I met him when, when the avalanche came in '95-'96. John Kelly, who you hear from in a little bit, was you know doing the games, and and Peter was was brought on from New Jersey to be his partner, and and uh, I was doing the pre and post game most nights and and between periods, and I remember that first night against Detroit, hosting the pregame show, and and Peter was uh, I've told this story before, he was kind of like flop sweating uh, under the lights. But you'd never know it. They're dabbing him when he was off camera. You'd never know it because he wasn't nervous. It just, you know, he he was, you know, it was his first time in Denver. But I'll tell you what I, I came away with very quickly. I learned, and you all learned, more hockey from Peter McNabb than if you went to some NHL college you could not have learned anymore. And he brought... An energy, a respect for the game and a respect for the viewer um, that was just perfect. He never talked down to any of us. He educated. He did it with enthusiasm, and I'm telling you, it was authentic. You're going to hear from John Kelly in a little bit. Um, he was in the hockey vernacular a rink rat. Loved to be around the rink. Loved to talk hockey. Loved to to meet new people. Had, a, had a, the most infectious laugh. You heard it on the air. Young people will ask me who are aspiring broadcasters, what's your number one piece of advice? And I say, be yourself. Your on-air personality shouldn't be a grand departure from who you are walking around town. And for Peter, it was 100%. When you were listening to him on Avalanche Games on television, that's the same guy that we knew off the ice. Fun to be around. As I said, an infectious laugh, cared about people, loved his family, uh, loved to engage with with kids. And I was, I was just shocked, man, when, you know, there the are people that you feel like, well, he's, he'll, he'll kick cancer's ass. And I remember talking to him about it, uh, earlier this summer and, um, it just uh, it just stopped me in my tracks when when I heard that he passed. So what we're going to do here is we're going to have a little conversation with John Kelly, his original partner with the Avalanche, and uh, from there we're going to take you to um, some different excerpts from that two part. Series I did with him on the podcast after the avalanche captured the cup just a few months ago So here's his original partner who's now doing the St. Louis blues and continues to do a marvelous job as a play-by-play guy on television John Kelly Well, Johnny, I uh, I wish you and I were talking under completely different circumstances. I know you feel that as well um, I'll begin here when uh, you know we we had thought you know Peter was in remission and and I talked to him for over an hour um, for my podcast actually right after the cup and he sounded if you didn't know what he had been through you would have sound, you would have no idea he just sounded like Pete uh, I, I assume you were just like all of us just blown away yeah it, it's
2: it's a really tough day for for my family and myself personally Drew. Um, When I found out yesterday that he had passed, you know, I had seen him in um, the second round last year when the apps played the blues and his cancer was in remission and we talked about it and, and he was in great spirits. And I just assumed that that continued through the fall. I know he had done some games and done some other things and I saw him. He looked great. And then when his wife, Diana called me last Thursday and told me that he had taken a terrible turn for the worse, I was, I was shocked. And um, just just a great person, uh, a great friend of mine and our family. And and I know that the Avalanche hockey community ha- has lost a great ambassador for the game. Uh, and, and Drew, you know, you knew Peter really well as I did. You know, it didn't matter if you were a broadcaster, a player, a fan, or whatever. He had time for you. Um, he had no arrogance about him. He was just a really nice guy that loved his family and loved the game of hockey and it's a terrible, terrible loss,
0: yeah, and I think as you simplified it, I know when someone passes it you know it's it's always tragic and and you're going to gravitate to positive things and positive attributes about that person. But honest, honest to God, anybody who knew him, e- even in passing, but those of us that, that knew him pretty well, you're like, no, this guy's, this guy's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. And and that was a fact. It's not an embellishment because we're all sad at his passing.
2: Exactly. Um, he, and he loved to talk about his, his girls and his his wife and you know he at the time drew and i was there i had young kids my my oldest was only two months old and then we had two girls while we were in denver and he loved to live by they through me with my kids you know the shenanigans they were up to and things like that and, and he was always so nice to them so you know that was number one and then number two he, he just he was a hockey lifer drew he was one of those guys that you know, you got to the rink, you talk about your family and, you know, catch up on what happened the last couple of days. And he didn't, he didn't want to talk about, you know, the latest TV show or politics or things like that. Right to hockey. And you know, talking about your team and then the latest trade or the latest gossip or whatever. And you know, I, I think that Peter and I connected so well as broadcast partners because we both felt the same way about hockey. Um, we both, of course, came from great hockey families. His dad, a former GM, his brother was in the game, and, of course, my dad and brother are obviously in the game. So we had that connection of hockey had always been our life. And so, like I said, we'd get to the rink and talk about our families, but then right away it would be about the game of hockey. And he, he could talk endlessly about um, the game and the, that nice opponent, things like that. Um, it, it was. It just all consumed him, and and um, I, I was so happy and so proud to work with him for nine. Well,
0: you, you're a big part of this, and and then you know you moved on to St. Louis after nine years, and you've done a marvelous job there. But do you, I? I hope you realize, and I, and I think you know because you live the game every single day, and now the Avalanche, a three-time Cup winner. But you think back over the last 26 plus years. And the introduction, and I know the Rockies were around for that one season, but the introduction um, to NHL hockey, and unbeknownst to many, NHL hockey at its highest level from Jump Street, was brought by you and Peter in large measure back in 95 and 96.
2: Yeah, you know, we were so blessed, um, Drew. Um, Peter had come from the Devils, um, where his team had won the Cup the previous year. And I come from Tampa Bay an expansion team. And I, I remember the first, um, really event I went to, it was like a, a introductory luncheon press conference, um, in the parking lot in front of McNichol Sports Arena. And, and then the first game I saw the preseason, they played a preseason game in Bale and they, they beat San Jose like 11 to one. And then we start the season and they start scoring goals in bunches. And we're saying, what do we got here? <laughs> And and then they made the trade for Patrick Waugh, and that really solidified that team. And, of course, they win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, looking back, those were, in my nine years, um, just marvelous teams to cover. And, you know, I was so lucky to work with Peter. He was so good to me. He may be a better broadcaster, Drew. He really did because he was so good, and he was so fair and so honest with people. And he, he would always say the right thing. And... For whatever reason, Drew, I'm, the first game we ever did together was the opener against Detroit at McNichols, and Peter and I I felt we just had instant chemistry. And I don't know why it happened, but we did. And he knew when I needed to take a breath or take a break, and he would jump in and, and you know, add what he was going to add. But um, it, it was amazing chemistry I felt we had from day one, and to cover those teams certainly was was icing on the cake to have a great team right off the bat like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you brought me to something I was going to ask you that it seemed like you guys just hit it off almost instantaneously and doing what you and I do for a living. Sometimes it, there's a period of, of, of almost getting to know one another on the air but, um, but I attribute it more importantly than me. I'm, I'm wondering, do you attribute it just to his, his general affability and the fact that he had great respect for you and, and, the, and your background in, in the sport?
2: You know, I don't know, Drew. You know, I never asked him that question. But, you know, you have to remember, too, that, that prior to working with, with me in the Avalanche, Peter had worked with the Devils for a number of years. I don't know exactly how long, maybe 10 or so. And he worked with, with Mike Emmerich and Gary Thorne. I mean, two of the greatest hockey broadcasters in, in U.S. history. So, you know, he, he got to work with some really talented people and I I just think he, you know, he found his groove and really learned quickly. So like I said, when I came to work with him, I, I wasn't in awe of Peter, but it was like, okay, you know, this guy's really good and, and I better, I better measure up. So. You know, I, again, I think we love the game of hockey and we understood each other and he, he understood the nuances of broadcasting very well and we just clicked. So I, you know, again, we never talked about it. Um, we never had meetings before games or things like that about what we're going to say things. It just happened, um, organically and it was. It was a lot of fun. That's what I'll say.
0: Yeah, one of the things I'll miss, and I know I know you'll miss uh, as well, even though you, you weren't seeing him on a day-to-day basis, but the, the laugh that he had, his personality on air was no different than his personality um, off the air, and that laugh was so infectious. Uh, the first time you heard it on the air, I mean, do, do you remember your reaction?
2: Um, he, yeah, I mean, he was always so positive, and, and you know, he, he was— he was blown away at times, Drew, by by the talent of the players. And, you know, he was a great player himself. I mean, over 40 goals and played on some great teams. But even Peter McNabb was was blown away at times by what, you know, the likes of Peter Forsberg and Joe Sackett could do. Um, but, yeah, he was a lot of fun. I remember one time, Drew, um, I brought my young daughter, Megan, who was probably four years old at the time, to the booth, and she sat with me which was a real treat for her and me and during the game um she got mad at me i don't know if i didn't let her go get another soda or whatever but she just got so mad at me and crossed her arms and given me a, the evil eye and peter just he from the from that day until the last time i saw him every time i saw him he would reman- he just got such a kick out of how my daughter was so mad at me in the broadcast <laughs> booth that night but he, like i said he was great to my kids and you know you're right. His, his laugh and you know his love for the game and love of people was certainly infectious.
0: John, I really appreciate you you reflecting. I know it's uh, it's very difficult, and uh, I know you have a game tonight against Boston. And um, I, I guess there's um, a degree of irony, if you will, that that you're playing the Bruins tonight. And I, I'm I, I know the Bruins um, and certainly St. Louis as well will will honor Peter because uh, when I think of when I originally remember Peter he was wearing uh, you know he was wearing that Bruin sweater and, and you're right I mean he was so humble yeah this guy scored 363 NHL goals he had eight over 800 points he wasn't just you know a nice player I mean he was a hell of a player for a long period of time and I think it's somewhat fitting that uh, that you especially are in Boston tonight.
2: Yeah, and they're gonna by the way, Drew, they are gonna have an uh moment of silence for Peter and, and show a video um before the game. So it, it is ironic that that I am here tonight and um I'll think of my my great friend and former partner um for, for this game and for many days to come. He'll be yeah. missed.
0: Yeah, Johnny, yeah. I, I look forward to catching up with you uh at a later date, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, other topics. My best to your family, and again, I, I appreciate it, and, and, and my condolences to you as well, because I know how important Peter was uh, was to you, and and that first uh, almost decade here in Denver.
2: Thanks, Drew. Thank you for having me, and and Colorado should know that they they've lost a great great man and a great hockey ambassador. I, I do I do know they know that though.
0: You know, when I reached out to John today, as you heard me say to him toward the end of our little conversation, um, that it was so fitting that he's in Boston tonight, and and Peter played for several NHL clubs, as you know, but I think many people, old hockey people, remember him most as a Bruin, and I looked at the schedule to make sure to find out where Johnny was, and, and there he is in Boston, so apropos to say the least. Well, as I said uh, uh, a short while ago, we're going to play some excerpts from my conversation on this podcast with uh, with Peter. And it was right after the Avalanche won the cup and got his reflection on seeing the cup raised from his perspective. And, and we touched on so many topics. So I'll allow you to sit back and enjoy uh, Peter's reflections on the Avalanche's third Stanley Cup victory and as i said other topics as well i have to tell you you know going back to when you know, there were just such a gamut of emotions for me because you know go back to 95 96 when the team arrives and and I got a, I got a huge, and I've continued, ongoing, even from afar. Got a huge hockey education from you, and and to see the that team and the 001 team with all these Hall of Famers, knowing that it couldn't continue because of the salary cap, and then what this team was able to accomplish, man, I, I it's hard in what we do, Peter, to be fans again, and I found myself being an unadulterated fan, and it was friggin' awesome. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean it. it uh, you know, and I think the players uh, obviously they had their night with the cup, and the families were all there, and was really it was really cool. And they they're going to have a couple of days. I think they're going to be absolutely astounded with the parade. I, I mean, ab, it, it's going to be, you know, they're 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 going to think it's going to be a and it's going to be a plus 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 plus. People are going to yeah. be there, and they're just going to have. A wonderful, wonderful time.
0: Yeah. So, you, you know, you've been here forever, Peter. You know that, that this town, they, you know, I, all towns love a winner. I know that's a cliche. Um, but they, I think they're going to be blown away, especially some of these younger guys that, that may not know the McCars and, you know, the Bo Byrams. They, they're, they're going to be blown away at the number of people that are going to show up. You know, because it's,
1: it's one of those glorious things that I've seen and I know, and it's just, you know, Drew, there's certain things that you know are facts, you know, and they're backed up, and I can show you a million times over. What happens in the playoffs is, okay, you go into the playoffs, especially a team like the Avalanche where there's a lot of, you know, people are, there's a lot of interest and, and, you know, the trepidation of the second round thing and all of that stuff. And, but you've got a certain group of, the, of of people that are watching the team as they go into the playoffs. Okay. But as round one goes, it gets bigger, and boom. Okay, now let's start the second round. And the, the, the number of people watching after the first round into the second is ten times what it was when it started. And then you win the second round, and there's a huge sigh of relief. And now you're into the third round. And it just grows and grows and grows, and it it you know you're invested, you're invested, and you enjoy being invested. It's, I had you know a couple things I had to do where you know all of the people there where I was where I was going were you know they had their their sockets and their McKinnon, and you know it's you know it was every every I mean I, I can't imagine. With the uh, viewership, or the listening, or the whatever it was for that game six, it must have been extraordinary.
0: Yeah, and, and you know what's something else, Peter? You know, talking about kind of being able to put the fan hat on again. Honest to God, and, and we're we we've, we've been in sports. You played forever. You've been involved in it forever. You grew up around it with your dad, for God's sakes, So, but but even doing what I've done for years. I find it nerve wracking watching (laughs) the watching the games. I'm like, I can't deal with this, man. Just I mean, it's it's is not silly. I mean, no,
1: no. You know, you know what? You wouldn't be doing what you do for a living so well if it was silly. That would mean it meant nothing. You know, it was just you were rambling on about something. It was your job sort of thing. And, you know, full well that you don't have a job. You know, you, you have a wonderful thing that you do that's, you know, you don't, you don't work for, you're like me, you don't work for a living. You yep. know, we just, just have never done that because we're, fan, I'm a, I'm the biggest hockey fan you'll ever find. So yep. for me to sit there and do the TV part of it for the first round and whatever and then, you know, be lucky enough to work on the radio. It, it, it's, I couldn't, I wouldn't wish to be anywhere else doing anything else. And, uh, you're, you're the same way. Cause I mean, you should have seen <laughs> Connor and I. Every TV timeout, we'd look up and go, eight minutes? There's still <laughs> Are you kidding me? Wasn't it seven minutes? I'll never forget. I I said it on air, but it was, it, it always struck funny. Michael Rusioni, I, who I got to know cause he was with the, obviously the miracle on IH in 80. Um, and he was at Boston University, and, you know, I got to know him. He said that the guy's still out at how long the final ten minutes of that game in Lake Placid took because they they swear that they were adding time as, the, as it went on. And that's what it seemed like. It, I mean, as well as the Avalanche were played, and they were completely dominating, completely dominating the game. There was no – but there was – that chance when it was just one goal, a bad bounce, a penalty, a you know, a fluky play could, could have tied it up, and then you get in overtime, and then you're talking a craft shoot, and you know it's pretty tough to beat a team three times in a row in the overtime. So, you know, you're probably looking at going back to Colorado for Game Seven. You know, so it was you know that the things that go through your mind as as the game going on are just amazing.
0: Peter w- there were two things that stood out to me in the third period. One and I, and I want to solicit your thoughts on it and you kind of touched on it. Um, one, the Avalanche played, you know at least in, in my mind, you know you, you forget periods. you have a great memory for these things. you can go back and go yeah hey, I remember game two against the LA Kings or but that they played as perfect a period when you're talking about two elite teams. As, as I can ever remember seeing. And the second part, because I'm always going, yeah, you can territorially dominate, and all of a sudden you give up a fluke, and it's 2-2, and then holy shit, you know, now you're in overtime. And when uh, Tampa had a good chance, Kucherov, Kucherov had a great uh, – you're watching the pass come across, and you're going, here it is. I've seen this. We've all seen it, right? And Kemper got across. I mean, he made
1: um, you know, I'm talking to him a little bit on the plane. That was the save of his career, save of his hockey life. He'll he'll have that one show his kids as he looks back on his career years from now and say, "I made that save at that moment," and a few minutes later, this, this, this my club won the Stanley Cup. I mean, I, I don't know how goaltenders handle the pressure. I, I, it, it's phenomenal. I've been around. You know, I was was talking. about have you know, around goalies that are Hall of Fame goaltenders: Roger Crozier in Buffalo, Jerry Chevers in Boston, Marty Brodeur in New Jersey. I was that I was playing with the other two, but then around, and then of course Patrick Waugh here. They're they're a different breed. They're able to handle. I mean, I would just, I I, I just the the scrutiny alone would bury me. And they they just you know and he, you know to to do what he did. Because he has to win four games. That that was his job was to win four games, and he you know they win four three, and then he then he's got a shutout, and then he's got a two when he, when they win three two, and then a two one. So he he won every game that was there to win. He won, and that's yep. all you can ask a goaltender to do, especially when the guy at the other end is Vasilevsky, who right now probably stands as the best goaltender in the National Hockey League, but. Darcy Kemper can say, but you know what? Stared him down, and I won.
0: Absolutely. And, and Peter, overall, that third period for you was at, where, where would you rate it among great periods with with what was at stake that you've witnessed or, or, or participated in?
1: Yeah, I, I think you hit the key right there. I mean, the avalanche have played a lot of periods like that. Where they just completely dominate. They played it in the playoffs,
0: where they completely dominate.
1: You know, this is a club that won nine and one on the road. You know, so I mean, you know, everybody else was minus, in, you know, in the National Hockey League on the road, except for St. Louis. And you know, it, it's a it's a tough place to win is on the road. And the Avalanche, all four series, they want the game clincher, that that's quote unquote toughest game to win. Was on the road. So the Avalanche had a lot of those periods. But as you said, when the stakes were at their highest, they were, they did the thing that is you have to be impressed with is that most, most clubs you see the 1-3-1, the sit back, the wait, you know, and the Avalanche actually did that in one game where they against St. Louis, they kind of sat back and it let St. Louis get back in that game, but they learned their lesson from that game as they learned the lessons from years before. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody, you know, they're saying that, you know, they didn't think maybe the first two losses in the um, second round hurt them enough. And then last year, that one absolutely devastated them. And they were not going to let anything happen to this team this year. And when you play that way, your way, um, cause I, I was, I had a, a, you know, just a conversation and, and we were, you know, he kind of looked at me and we were laughing, uh, Kale McCarr, uh, there was about 10 seconds to go and he dumped the puck into the far corner and, you know, most, usually defensemen back off. he chased that thing down. Yeah. <laughs> he was brilliant. He was, he was not, no, but he was not going to let that thing get out of his zone. He, he was on that guy. That poor guy looked over his shoulder. I'm sure and said, what is, I mean, isn't that defa- a defenseman? And, you know, and the Avalanche did that all all playoff. They, their defensemen to me, as well as the forwards played and all the wonderful stories, but it was the defensemen as a group that were the difference that other clubs didn't have, the Avalanche defensive core, and that was, I think, was really the difference in all of the
0: series. I'm gonna hop around because you keep bringing me to different topics, and and it, you know Bobby Orr, you play Bobby Orr, so it, the comparisons seem legitimate to me. But my opinion is is meaningless compared to yours. How legitimate? How fair are the comparisons to? You know, what, what, you know, everybody has always said he's the greatest defenseman ever because of how he could play on both ends of the ice.
1: You see, I, two things, two things that happen, uh, in my mind with, with Kale. Uh, one, there is, he has no one, he, he's elevated his game to the point where, uh, you know, you, you're not comparing him to Bobby Orr or, or Ray Bourque, he's just, you're going to compare other people to him. He is, a, and that's hard to do. After three years in the National Hockey League, you are now that defenseman in the league and the defenseman in the game, in history, that people are comparing a young defenseman to, and the defenseman to. And, you know, he's just, people say, well, is he the next Bobby Orr? Not him, but a player. And yeah. They'll be saying, is he the next K.O. McCall? I mean, you know, he's, He's right there. I mean, right there with Bobby. Now, I think every single player that has ever played in Boston has a place in their heart for Bobby Orr because of the spectacular person that he was and the way that he handles himself in his career. But Kale is exactly the same. I mean, you get lumped onto your resume, two first-team All-Stars, Calder Trophy, Rookie of the Year, Norris Trophy, best defense in the National Hockey League, Conn Smythe, best player in the playoffs. Uh, and then you turn around, you, you know, and you handle it, you know, so well. You handle it so well. And this is where the comparison you can compare. The guys in Boston were always, Bobby was always happier with the guys in Boston when they won than he was for himself winning anything. And Kale is exactly the same way. It's teams. It's my guys. It's my defensive partner, taste, It's all of that. And you know you can run those comparisons, but my my I am always taken back, Cale, and to one story, and I've I've repeated it a couple of times, but it, it's always something that I write for myself just uh, in the start of the year about certain players. You know, I uh, I retired, you know, whatever, and I was started doing this, and I get to Edmonton, and um, obviously I had played against Gretzky, but. Um, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna do the journalist thing, and a friend of mine, Craig McTavish, was playing for the Edmonton Oilers, and I went to uh, McTee and I went, okay, you know, okay, Gretzky, you know, what about this, you know, what, what, what does he do different? What makes him so special? Da da da, da 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 da, you know, and he looked at me right, and he goes, Max, not you two, and I went, what? Don't, um, oh, I, I, and he sure shook his head. He just plays the game better than anybody else, you know, and, and that, that's what Kale does. Cale just plays the game of hockey better than anybody. People were talking about his edging
0: and his stick work and
1: his defense and his offense and, you know, which is better, and it just goes on and on. He is, right now, I think you, he's elevated himself. There's McDavid, there's McKinnon, and Austin Matthews maybe in Toronto, Certainly, he he had a tremendous year. And kale McCarr okay, you can start your argument there or your conversation there. Who's the best player in the world right now? And uh, you know he's done that in three years. You know in the league. I mean that's that's just a rocket ship to the top of the mountain. It, it's it's fantastic.
0: I would be remiss if I didn't ask you one other question, and it's the silly you know it's it's almost like one of those cliche talk show kind of questions <laughs> but uh but i I'll go down that path even though you you know me well enough I don't generally do that sort of thing. can you compare and contrast no you know where I'm going the 0-1 team and- no,
1: it's 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 it, and and the, the thing that sits right in the middle of it is the salary cap you cannot compare a salary cap of because if you look at, when you look at the players that Pierre was bringing in, he was that big gambler guy. I mean, he was, he did, you know, the, you get Lachman and you get Manson at two million and makes he's bringing in Blake and Bork and Flourish. I mean, you know, every time you turned around, it was a bigger fish that was coming in, going out, you know, and that's. There, there's the difference, but so was Detroit and so was St. Louis and, you know, and Dallas. They were, you were, they were bringing in big money. I would, I would love to have seen what the budget was for the avalanche on other in the 01 team because you had guys that were eventually going to make $10 million, several of them. Well, you can't have that and be successful, you know, nowadays. Everything is about managing that cap. So, you know, now, if you want to get into why did the Avalanche win, I can throw you one. The Avalanche, the first year they won, they had Sakic, Forster, Kamensky, and Oselinch, top four scorers. The next time they won, they had Sakic, Tange, Hayduke, and Blake were the top a defenseman. And this year they had the top big three and McCarr. Each team had that special defenseman ingredient that other clubs don't have. And, you know, you look at it and it it really is important. I mean, the goaltending, you know, the first two there was Waugh and this one there was Kemper and Patrick Waugh is one, two, three all time. And Kemper is a really, really good goaltender who now has a Stanley Cup ring and a Stanley Cup, his name on the Stanley Cup. So things just, evolve hey okay? you know when you're involved with especially when the salary cap just flattened out because of the pandemic and everything it's not like it's gone in a couple of years it may go up and that's when you may see a you know a different look around the league but right now you're managing at the same salary cap for the last uh, two three years
0: they're, they're they're fun questions they're they're obviously silly and that you know one would never know um i i've said this many times of Of all the athletes I've seen in this town, in particular, uh, the guy that remains when when he was healthy, the best for me was was Peter Forsberg, and
1: he was always my favorite player. The the reason I got into um, hockey, I I loved the imagination of the game. You know, once you got that puck, you you could let your own imagination, you know, and I could I could imagine a lot of things, but I couldn't do it. Peter could imagine a lot of things; he could do them all. You know and i i will uh i'll argue with anybody anytime they want to you know sit down and have a conversation that stack and forsberg were the best one two punches center ice maybe in the last you know i think ever
0: i, I remember because it was only for a minute and a half and um but i remember when one night flurry when flurry you you know you went right where i was going they paired them all together do you remember that peter it was it was, well, actually, Bob put them together for the third period.
1: And each one of them has said to me privately, it was one of the most phenomenal, because Bob couldn't get them out there fast. They both, they all three played about 10, 11 minutes that third period. And it was the most truly. Because, you know, Joe and Peter weren't necessarily always on sync because they didn't think the game the same way. But that night they did, and Fleury did. And it was, you know, if you just wanted to watch one Period of hockey, one group of three. I'm not even sure who they were playing against. I'm not even sure if anyone else played that night for the Avalanche, but I've had you know, Theo said to me that was the greatest experience, and Peter and Joe have all talked about that period, uh, and it was. I mean, I mean, I, you know, it's, it, it's my little term, but it was magical. You know, it, yeah. it, it was absolutely magical. Fortunately, my dad told me one time that if you're lucky enough inside of your career, if you play, you know, X number of years, and you'll have a lot of teammates, but if you have five true friends in a career, you've done really, really well. And I can honestly say that uh, Max is no longer with him, but I have mentioned to him that you know, Max, I actually have I've done that. I have uh, I, I was taught how to be a friend, and I think I'm a pretty good friend. But they, uh, the friends I've, that I have have been phenomenal in this whole thing. Uh, I'm the lucky one, I, you know, because when Quebec came here and I, you know, I, I thought getting out of the, you know, the, the East Coast and coming back this way was a good idea. I never, ever, ever would have imagined that it would have gone this long and been this great, this wonderful with all the great people. So, Drew, yeah. you're obviously one of them, but, uh, but, thank, but thank you so much.
0: Well, I know I speak for... A lot of you that not only did you learn hockey, not only did you come to appreciate the avalanche overall, over all these years, by and large from Peter McNabb, I will take it one step further, and I threw this out on social media in the aftermath of his passing, that you can, for me, make a very convincing case that, yeah, on the ice, when you look back at 25-plus years, currently you think of the McKinnons and the McCars, and in the past you think of the Sackicks and the Forsbergs and the Waz of the world, and, well, you should. And their mark on this franchise is indelible. But at the same level, in a different capacity, what Peter McNabb brought to the broadcasts on television from an education standpoint, from an enthusiasm standpoint, from the guy who came into your living rooms four nights a week in the winter and was a friend. That was every bit as important as the contributions of the stars on the ice. For me, it was. And and I imagine probably for you, it was as well. Peter will be deeply missed. Gone way too soon. Rest easy, my friend.